Businesses are going online every day around the world and it's getting easier. But running their businesses requires constant two-way communication with their users and customers across channels 24-7 year-round. Today we interview Kaus Mangita with Mason. Kaus is a no-code evangelist and content nerd along with the serial product builder. You'll find her in the midst of people, entrepreneurs, brand builders, developers, marketers, and designers over Zoom, on Hangout, and on this podcast today, along with her extended Shopify family. Mason is Zapier, made for commerce. It connects data, designs, and channels, so you can now run your product launches, sales, documents, discounts, and inventory updates custom reviews, in-app help, in-funnels, and more, all on autopilot. Enjoy today's interview, and come back for more. I hope you're enjoying this new format for Talk Commerce. Talk Commerce is sponsored by Haifa, or as the Europeans say, Hufa, or the right way to say it. Hufa is rapidly becoming the biggest Magento front-end after Luma, For those who don't know it, Luma is the basic theme that comes with Magento, and it is giantly slow. If you're looking for a template-based front-end with the fastest loading times in the e-commerce industry while saving costs on development time and hosting infrastructure, Hufa is your best option. Everybody loves a fast site, including Google. Improve your Google ranking and conversion rates and make your customers happy. Learn more at hyva.io. That's hyva.io. My name is Brent Peterson, and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And now, talk commerce. Welcome to this episode of Talk Commerce. Today I have Kos Manjita. She is the founder of Mason, a no-code e-commerce builder. Kaus, please do a better introduction than I did. Maybe tell us a little bit about what you do in your day-to-day role and one of your passions in life. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me here, first of all. And it's a small world. We were just talking before we went live about how you saw cricket in Minneapolis. And I'm right now in Palo Alto and not in India. So yeah, yeah, the world's shrinking. So I'd like to spend a quick few seconds on what we do at Mason. We don't help teams build their stores, but we help teams, brands and merchants actually run their store profitably. And just stepping back, I think we all, it's been like, everybody's been speaking about it, how CAC should include a roof, should be super important. But if you kind of like dive down into it, the problem is that your direct-to-consumer channel can be your most profitable channel. You spend a lot of dollars sending customers to your D2C store, but it's super leaky. An average store converts at about a 0.5 or a 1% and compare it to like the greats like Allbirds, they're like at an 8%. So there's a big spectrum to cover there. And when we chanced upon this uh, interesting metric, we realized that I used to work at Walmart Labs. I've been in e-commerce technology technology for a long time. And me and my co-founder, our question to each other was, why are we building, continuing rather, to build tech for the giants? We know we already have done a good job over there. It's been tech that's refined over decades now. But why not 
take that expertise, package it into something simple and no code, which everybody can use and help the rest of the 99% of the D2C world really succeed. So our goal is to help you get more and more of that traffic that lands up at your store to actually end up buying with you, forming a one-on-one connect with you. And why do you think there's that big disconnect between big tech and the small business person? Do you think it's because of budget or do you just think it, it what is it that is that's making that gap? Yeah, there's multiple sides to it. Budget is definitely there. Enterprise technology products are definitely more expensive. But honestly speaking, there's also accessibility. It's super hard to implement and we've built products for a while. It's It always requires a set of developers, designers, like multiple functions really coming together to implement. And we are just talking about implement and go live. And when you're a small or nimble rather upcoming brand, you don't want to spend six months on implementing an analytic solution. You don't want to spend six months on one automation end to end, right? There's a bunch to do. You need the need for speed, right? You really need speed. You really want to go live out there with your experiments, understand your customers every single day, every single day should be ending. And that enterprise tech, I think is the biggest gap is that it's it just takes a whole lot of time to implement and go. And then there's maintenance. Beyond that, you just need developers again uh, to continue to just operate it. So that's where no-code, low-code kind of technologies, DIY, self-serve technologies, or if I don't use geek speak, it's just DIY, it's self-serve. They really help you get leverage, probably really complex technology, complex performance-related solutions, but it's all dumbed down. It's simple. Anybody can use it. And I think no code is a buzzword nowadays. So explain, yeah. maybe explain a little bit about what that means to the actual user. Yeah, yeah. It, it, no code's been there forever. I love talking about it. When you come to think of it, even a ballpoint pen is a no code version of, uh, you know, quills, right? Uh, when you come to think of it, we've always been making new technology and then a lot of effort on making it simple for everybody. With literacy, it was literally the same. Books were just things that very small fragment of the population had access to, would read. And then you have printing press and books are super cheap and you have ballpoint pens and whatever. And then everybody is blogging now on Twitterverse. So every technology goes, every important technology, if it needs to be mass adopted, it needs to get simple to use. So when you come to think of it, no codes like not, uh, it's just what we are calling it today. But in essence, the whole democratization of technology, I think that's what it is. And the original no code for me is probably Excel sheets. Like it was, you could literally create pivot charts and all these awesome tables and dashboards. And uh, you didn't really need to know it is low code, no code. You didn't really need to know, you know, AI and data sciences and all of that, but you could literally massage data and see it visually right in front of you using Excel. No good as a uh, as a philosophy, I think, has been there. That's what we all, humanity always does. We simplify great tech and we make it uh, accessible to everybody. But yes, in the recent few years, I think it's taken more prominence. Uh, also because citizen developers is another very important change in the ecosystem today. Globally, people want to be able to do things on their own as we go more and more remote. There's so much overhead on managing, project managing multiple folks globally to just get a simple 
change in one workflow out. NoCode actually started with large enterprises adopting it, surprisingly. How do we constantly give the power to subject matter experts to drive experiments, to drive new product changes without having to wait on sprint cycles internally to go live with things. But now NoCode's like out there. There's NoCode apps like Bubble that helps you build websites, apps, whatever, like at the drop of a hat. But you also see no-code proliferating in different verticals. And I'm very excited about how no-codes are really making retail tech much more accessible to the really large number of creators and entrepreneurs that are going out there and trying to make a business. So maybe let's talk a little bit about your solution and who it best fits. Maybe just walk us through the workflow of, of how it will help users up go up from 0.5% to <laughs> hopefully get to 8% and more. Yeah, yeah. It's a journey for sure. 0.5 to 8, there's a lot of different milestones in between. Our go-to-market, like our sweet spot of customers that we really make a big impact on are teams who have found product market fit. So brands and merchants who've come online, who've tried their early days of selling, and they know that their product works, and now they really amp it up and go out there and become a big brand, right? Become a household name. And teams who are at probably one and a half to two million at least in revenue, GMV in a year, that's when something like Mason, products like Mason essentially start making a lot of sense to you. And sits on top of, let's say, your e-commerce platform like a Shopify. So you've built your back office, you've built your infrastructure in a way you have a D2C storefront. But now you got to convert customers every single day. You have people coming in, they're dropping off at different parts of the funnel. So step one that Mason helps with is first understand where you are today, right? What's your conversion rates? What's your traffic? What's your orders? Where are these funnel drop-offs? What are your slow movers? What are your best-selling products? Just giving you an overview of a pulse of where you are today as a merchant, as a brand, and giving you insights and intelligence on not just high-level metrics, L0s like your conversion rate or your revenue, but actually double clicking on which parts of the funnel are working or not. What are different high level cohorts of customers? How are they interacting at different workflows? And then finally, also understanding how are your products performing, which are the products that are performing, not performing, etc. So that that's step one, which is if you don't know where you are today, you can't take any decision on what to do next. So that's the first thing we help with. Second is once you figure this out, then the next question. It's a very Finding Nemo moment. I love that movie. There's this moment in the movie where all the little fish, they like jump out of the aquarium. They're still in their tiny plastic bags and they jump into the ocean and they're like, now what? I think getting to data is very much like that. Data and then you're like, awesome, but now what? So recommendations based on your industry, based on your category, trying to understand. been two years live with Mason today and it's actually closing out on two years. Yay. And, and we've helped a lot of different companies over these two years. On an average month, we have more than 10,000 teams using the product brands. These are global brands in this segment across North America, Australia, Canada, a little bit in Europe, in Britain, English-speaking regions essentially. And we have a lot of wealth of information thanks to them on what are the benchmarks and what are the, these teams are doing that that's good, that's working. So we recommend, the second thing that we do is we recommend based on your industry, based on the kinds of products that you're selling, the AOV that you have, the, the sell price of your product, etc., what could be the next best steps for you to take within your store? 
And that encompasses three major things. One is merchandising. So how do you merchandise your products? How do you make it look good, look exciting, fresh, engaging? And people are like, yeah, I want to buy that skincare product. I know the ingredients. It, it works for me. So getting that information out there uh, in the right way for the right customer is merchandising. Second, we help with sales and promotions. So what kind of flash sales, discounts, just I think 30, 40 different kinds of sales just at the top of my head. And it keeps, new ideas keep coming up. So we usually work with partners to bring you different kinds of playbooks of sales, promotions, couponing, discounts, and how not to think of sales as like this one-time big event, but actually use it as a nudge to help fence sitters move from one part of the funnel to the other. And the third thing is with personalization. At a broad level, new users, repeat users, add-to-cart, drop-offs, etc., different cohorts. What could be some of these, the campaigns that you're running? How do you personalize it across these different segments? So the first thing we do is help you understand where you are today, what's the data looking, what's your snapshot of your store and your product performance at a high level. And then we help you with some actionable playbooks, sorry, recipes that we work with CRO experts. We work with e-commerce experts globally to curate these. And we have that as playbooks within the app so that you can literally now, if you're a fashion team selling to Gen Zs, you have a set of playbooks to get started with. Yeah, so I think the, the first thing that I heard there is that if you're a merchant who hasn't started measuring and collecting that data you're well behind the curve, no matter how big you are, because anybody yeah. can use analytics and Absolutely. and the free tools out there to do some measurements. So as you're building out this playbook, you're seeing helping discover ways for clients to sell better. Is that correct? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have a quick case study here. Seeing as you get more in- insights as a merchant on how do I sell better and as you experiment of it. Within 30 days, we are seeing teams getting 35 to 50% uplift in their conversion rates right off the bat. But not just that, you're seeing more engaged customers. So there are folks who are shoppers are spending 22% more time on your site and on your PDPs, which is a great thing. Engagement is a first step towards conversion, right? And finally, we are also seeing AOV uplifts. So a lot of these playbooks are also how do we help us find complementary products or products that work well with the product that you're looking at as a bundle or as a kit. And um, we're also seeing early impact on AOV. Going back to engagement rates, do you think there's this gap in the engagement rate between, say, the enterprise of the Walmarts and Targets of the world is, and compared to the small business user who just mm. has a new Shopify store? Yeah, they're very interesting about it, right? On one side, certain small stores and the common complaint in the early days is that we have a ton of people who keep coming. They're staring at our PDPs, our product details pages for folks who don't want me to talk jargon. But they're staring at our product details pages. They're like just scrolling and they're not doing anything. It's not good engagement. So I think there's also the perspective of some in the early days, you know, you, you won't think what is the difference between good and bad engagement, right? So even if someone's like spending a lot of time, the intense, super positive, the person's really spending that effort and time to understand what you're trying to do. But then 
is that leading to some outcome? So there is a big difference in one, the way that in the early days as an entrepreneur, as a brand, you think about engagement versus when you are a scaled enterprise and you think about engagement. Because at that moment, and I've been there, we are not thinking about engagement as just people spend average time spent. That's not the metric. Like eh? average time spent on PDP is 12 minutes. That's not what you're looking at. What you're looking at is really refined information around is it good engagement? Is it bad engagement? Is it leading to some outcome? Are the same people coming back again? That, that, that's and, and a ton more. So a lot of fine grained analysis is happening in larger teams. And then when you zoom out to early days of being a brand, you just look at, you read somewhere that engagement is a metric to chase and you just look at it and you kind of take decisions on it without diving into is it good, bad, cohortized, all of those, which sound like complex things. I know we are not data scientists, but I think there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of no-code should be focusing and they are focusing on how do we make this data much more simpler for people to understand. To make it simpler would be just to say how many people are on your site. That's the engagement. And how long are they staying there? And hopefully the longer they stay there, the more they'll buy the conversion yeah. part of it. I think that some of the traditional roles of, say, somebody that had a bunch of retail stores, sometimes it's just to drive traffic to retail rather than to keep them online. As e-commerce grows, do you see challenges in how you need to educate the users in just running their store? That's an interesting question. I think there's, an, there's a question on, you're asking about how do we educate people on how to run a better store. I think the problem and the gap that I see in the in in how retailers online are operating today is you tend to forget when you get online that it's still a store. It's not a website. You're not running a Craigslist. It is a store. And a lot of the strategies and tactics and knowledge that you have from brick and mortar is it, you'd need to translate that into e-commerce. It's still retail. It's online retail. And somehow the minute people get online, they start talking like pages and page views and end of the day, it's, yeah, that's good. Those are like granular information. That's how that's, I think geek talk seeped into retail, but speaking, it's still a store as technology gets more simpler to use. Retail tech gets more simpler, more accessible. People have to realign themselves and start actually believing in their own knowledge that comes from brick and mortar and how they can implement it back into online. So there's definitely a lot of relearning that's going to happen as tech becomes more retail first and simple and for everybody. And that it's not just pages and traffic. It's actually real customers who are coming to your store and who are probably browsing through your aisles and your products and getting a feel of it because at the end, they want to find out What's, what works for them, understand it, take it and buy it and take it home and then probably come back again. Yeah, definitely a lot of relearning. Yeah, so we've talked about engagement and conversions and then I suppose the, the last piece is retention and, and re, let's call it re-engagement or, re, or showing something new. How do you see that working for retention? And do you think best practices in, our, in, in just running a store has to change to keep retention and keep retention high? I think what's happening today is that people are struggling with the first step, which is conversions. So they take retention as I'll put a few email marketing campaigns and I'll drop a few offers and that's it. That's retention. So when the first step of how do I convert people 
starts evolving and you start understanding your customer that you have a customer base already, then the mindset overall in the ecosystem will shift to how do I retain better and what does retention mean? It's it's almost it's like building a partnership. When you think of retention, people don't. It's not just about some user coming back and browsing and then buying something. It's actually a partnership because even for SaaS companies, like we are a product, and for us, retention exactly is that. Are we able to get someone to from being a subscriber to being an evangelist? That's retention. And we are, a bunch of us are so are struggling so much with just growth in general. Are we getting enough subscribers that for a bunch of us, just retention starts becoming, I'll put a few cabio flows on and we are good to go. I would say the first step is that definitely clean up your baseline, which is that do you have enough strategies and technology implemented apps or tech, whatever, implemented in your storefront to be able to collect first-party data, understand your... When I say collect first-party data, it basically means understand your customers. Collect first-party data sounds very scary, but what it essentially means is, are you understanding these customers? Are you, are you getting a one-on-one window into their lives so that if they need you, can you... So do you have enough infrastructure set up to be able to understand your customers and get that knowledge consistently, right? That That's one. That's best practice. Definitely have the right set of infrastructure and the right set of strategies on your store. Not just dump a pop-up, a pop-up in someone's face and say that 10% off, give me email IDs. People always give wrong email IDs. That's not the way. But what other reasons is it going to be meaningful for me to give my personal email ID that you can, or my phone number that you can directly reach me on? And there, there, there has to be a real reason it has to be a give and take so you have to give something to get something so infrastructure and what is the right incentive these are like your baseline best practices to have once you have that and you have your conversion stable at a respectable number let's say one percent or one and a half percent or two it's a good start at that point thinking of retention as you're creating evangelist and not just so building loyalty thinking about personalization thinking about sales promotions or discounting or coupons that actually work for that customer, that specific customer, right? Or what are the right bundles, what they're buying, what they've been buying, you know, their carts. So can you create better bundles for them on the fly, which is more value for me as a customer if I'm a regular? So these are some of them, the strategies to think about and not just an email marketing or a campaign that you put me on. And do you see that like there's a proliferation now in marketplace and different channels? Do you see that do you see this helping in keeping more traffic on your own site rather than sending it to channels? Mm-hmm. Is there a discrepancy there, or a difference in how you're seeing users distribute their product across other channels and platforms? Globally, yes, there's a it's very different. For example, um originally from India, a ton of uh, Indian brands actually are marketplace first, right? So marketplace would probably be 80, sometimes some younger brands would have 90, 95% of their e-commerce strategy is actually a marketplace, even though in theory, they're a D2C brand, right? Whereas when you look at North Am, it's some brands definitely go speaking to one team uh, sometime back, they were on my live stream and they're a protein health bar company, very young team. They are completely marketplace first. My product is super commoditized and brand building is going to need a lot of money. First, I just need to make sure that the product works. 
So I'm going to be on a marketplace, right? So I think it really depends. In summary, it really depends on the stage of company that you are at. And of course, also the geography and how people buy. For most of our audience here, um, the stage of the company. In the early days, you want to understand whether your product's working. You want to get feedback, refine it, get to product market fit. It doesn't matter uh, before 2 million in GMB or 1.5 million in GMB. It doesn't matter what channel you're tapping into. Make a channel work and just iterate on your product, get to product market fit, right? Once you have that product market fit, then it's super crucial to now start building that one-on-one relationship because end of the day, with privacy and cookie list, it is going to be super expensive to constantly acquire new customers and they don't even know who you are, right? The next time they go on Amazon, they're just going to Google for the product, not for you. Right? And they're going to find some other competitor who's probably selling it cheaper, and you're done. So it's super important once you get beyond product market fit to actually now start forming that one-on-one relationship with your customers. And and it's not just about the Amazon tax. D2C is, of course, more profitable if you just look at numbers, your cogs, etc. But it's also about, are you getting, do they know who you are? Can they become your evangelist? And hence, can you get not just repeat customers, but a community who'll always love you and who, you know, will give you candid feedback and push you to do better. It it is super important based on the stage of your company, but beyond a certain stage, like it's table stakes. You've got to have that one-on-one relationship. Yeah, I think some of those downstream channels are Mm -hmm. going to impact how customers buy. Do you see anything in, I know that conversational commerce has been a buzzword now, and yeah. commerce through social media has been a buzzword buying directly on TikTok or buying directly yeah. on Instagram. Can you, do you steer those to users or do you just work on, say somebody has a Shopify store, do you just work on directly on that doorfront? Yeah. So the self-serve, completely DIY self-serve version of the product works primarily for D2C teams, which is like teams who have who want to optimize their store and who should but the next version of the product which is essentially as teams find success with the product and they want to do more they trust us as a company and they think that we can add value across different channels our products completely headless so it actually connects to any of your channels even amazon we have an amazon integration coming up which is in beta now will in the ga in a few weeks so you can literally apply very similar playbooks now on a multi-channel and get hence a single place where you can see the see of your decisions of your strategies of the campaigns across channels in one single place and of course that helps you take better decisions etc so the product itself like the platform version of the product is headless helps you manage multiple channels but that's not where we are acquiring a majority of our customers today we'll get there at some point in our own journey right now we are more focused on helping your D2C channel and uh, and making it super DIY and self-serve. And of course, as you grow and you trust that we are adding value to you and you want to do more, you can already do it because the expanded platform. I talked to a lot of retail clients that would have a traditional retail store or multiple stores, hmm. and maybe they were late in the game for e-commerce. So let's just say three quarters of their revenue is coming in through traditional retail and only a quarter is coming in. Hmm or even less through for, through the online, how do you help them get transfer a lot of that traffic or even grow? I think if you're doing 2 million in-store sales and you're only doing 500,000 online, there's a ton of opportunity there. Do you help those type of stores grow their online? So 
We do. One part of it is how do I drive traffic to my store? We don't do that. That's not, it's a commoditized world out there. You run ads, you do social, you do your branding. There are tons of great partners out there who've been doing that for decades and we help teams leverage that. We do partner with a bunch of that. But what we help with is how do we use for, for, and by the way, that example that you said of multi-retail, mini-retail kind of teams who are probably a little late into the e-commerce game, or maybe e-commerce is a supplementary line for them. And for them, there's two things. One is that they already have a ton of great customers and loyal customers and first-party data. And how do we utilize that to now help those same buyers who probably don't maybe on a certain week or month, they don't want to drive up to your store, but can you now get them to convert online? So that's one. And second is that I'm sure you're already using some of the same ad strategies, etc., and you're driving customers to your store. You, one interesting anecdote here is that we do see a lot of teams who are omnichannel, their retail their online retail stores perform worse than even the average industry right? because they just feel, I think somewhere the whole website mindset starts kicking in and they're like, we don't know this business. This is so difficult. And I think it's just how retail tech has been, online tech has been for the last couple of decades or more where people are talking web websites and pages and it throws these people who already know retail in and out, really, it throws them off. And so their online stores usually end up performing really poor. So there's like super low-hanging fruits out there, just helping them get to like benchmarks and, and reminding them, I think, we have a great CX team. We have great ton of partners who also work very closely with as required on demand. Just reminding them that you already know it, you got this. It's just, it just happens to be online. And so you have just infinite amount of data. <laughs> that's the that's pretty much the difference. And yes, yeah, you can't send someone to just talk to someone if you see them floundering across your pages or your list uh, or your collections. But you you can ping them. You can send them information or or you can chat with them instantly as they are in the store or after. So just reminding them that it's retail and you got this and and helping them with the low hanging fruits. These are two ways that we help such brands. Yeah, and your your answer was better than my question. I was getting at those lazy, and I'm not going to say lazy, but there are a lot of stores that just take it. They take for granted their retail, and then mm. they just add on a website because they were told to, especially around COVID. Mm. Uh, they were told well, you need a website, and then they just have a website, and they don't see it as an opportunity for a whole new store. I know that one thing that I've always said about, say, a licensing or a license for an enterprise product or a, a smaller license for a different like Shopify Plus or something like that. Mm, if yeah. you're going to spend X amount per month and it's 2000 a month for something like BigCommerce or Shopify, if you were to get that brick and mortar, it's probably going to be double and you're only going to have this tiny little potential customers around that, whereas a website, yeah. you have the whole world as potential customers. To, yeah. to draw them in. So uh, you, your answer was much better than my question. Thank you for that. <laughs> but that's such an important thing that you are talking about. And I think one of the reasons why retailers has to come online and they set up their stores or sites or whatever, we are not helping as retail tech either, as e-commerce enablement startups or companies or software, because a lot of us price as like a flat subscription. And so it's just adding to my cost month on month. And I don't know which app's working or what's not. This whole space is super fragmented that way. And one of our important decisions last year was to actually move towards an outcome-based pricing model. So if you're making orders, 
then we you pay us. If you're not making orders, don't pay us. So I think those are also important things. As the partners, app partners in the ecosystem, we got to think of too. Because for a retailer who's coming online, it's just a one app after another. And how do you know how are they interacting with each other? What's what uh, one one app saying that I'm going to increase your page views? Another app saying that I increase your AOV? You don't know what's happening. How are they interacting with each other? So. I think it's super important to try and see if you can adopt technologies that that are a bit more transparent about the impact on your business and and if they can give you a bit more holistic 360 degree view of your funnel that also helps because in the end numbers speak yeah, good. We have a couple minutes left. At the end of every podcast, I give the guests an opportunity to do a shameless plug about anything you'd like to plug. What would you like to plug today? Uh, You know, we talked about it. Maple, no. Right. So what I want to talk about is actually BFCMs right around the corner. And I know BFCMs, not like how it used to be probably five years back when, you know, that's the only chance you got to get some orders before the year ends. But think of BFCM as a point of the relationship that you're building for the rest of the year going ahead and and we help you with that we help you understand your we help you with first party data collection with first party data understanding so that you can take then take decisions for the rest of the year to drive the right products and promotions and bundles and all of that good stuff back to your customers and add value to them so yeah so we have a great bfcm offer and promo that's happening just hit me up Cosmanjita Manjita on LinkedIn or you can check out our site getmason.io or just ping us on, on, on chat on our site we are on LinkedIn we are on Twitter you find us at getmason.io or asmason on LinkedIn and of course Brent will link them all out help you think of BFCM we'll make you rethink BFCM as not just just like singular opportunity throughout the year to make some big buck but actually think of it as the starting point of the rest of the year ahead and next year when you can build amazing relationship with your shoppers and help them get value from you throughout the year yeah and there's a little bit of sense of urgency to get moving for black friday is there a date that you would say it doesn't make sense to add something like mason to the site absolutely Absolutely. Anything before 15 days, before two weeks, before, please don't mess with your store. But that's okay. You can always can always start getting you implemented, but probably go live post BFCM. And we have a great network of uh, experts who can just probably help you with last minute stuff during BFCM. So uh, even if you talk to us, it's feel free. We'll not, we'll make sure, we'll recommend you to not go live with anything but shattering two, two weeks prior to, to BFCM or the holiday season. But you can definitely get started. But yeah, you also get access to our whole expert. Kaus, it's been such a great conversation today. I thank you so much. Kaus Manjita, the co-founder of Mason, a no-code e-commerce brand builder and a brand enhancer, all those fun things. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Brent. Thank you for making it to the end of this episode of Talk Commerce. Please rate this episode wherever you download your podcasts. We are actively looking for people to participate in the free joke project. Go to talk-commerce.com and sign up for your free spot on the free joke project. If you are a business, I will do a 30-second elevator pitch in the spot to help promote your business. That's talk-commerce.com.